And we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3, please. Lloyd gave his testimony on Thursday night. Where is he? Where are you, Lloyd? Well, you're over there. Done really well, Lloyd. God bless you. Um, blessed time. Is it online yet? No, it's not online yet. We'll get it online and so you can all get a listen to it. God bless. Genesis chapter 3 and just one verse, please. Verse 16. This is the Lord speaking to Eve. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy con- in thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Let us pray. Father, we pray now as we search the scriptures that you would strengthen our heart and encourage your people. Bless each and every one of them this morning, and we pray, Lord, that you would set a challenge out to all of us, but, Lord, that you would edify your body. Bless those who are mourning. We think of the Lowe family today, the burial of their mother. We pray, O God, that you would comfort them and draw close to them, be nigh them. May they know your, your strength and your peace in their heart. We pray, Lord, for all those, Lord, this morning who are away, who are maybe on a holiday or a break, or those who are maybe feeling ill and at home. We pray for your continual blessing and your healing hand to be with them. So now, Lord, as we are in this place, we pray that you would encourage your people, or even those that are watching live or later. Pray, Lord, if there's some or one that hears something from the Word and they're not saved, that they'd come to saving faith in your Son. Lord, help me now to break the bread of life and maybe feast at the Master's table to glorify thine own name. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Unto the woman, he said, that is God said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. Suppose we don't think of this, that this is from the fall of, the, of Adam and Eve in the garden, that when a woman gives birth that she is in pain, because it seems so natural. It's what has happened to uh, women throughout the, the generations, and we sort of maybe look at it and we think, well, this is just a natural progression, but it is really a reminder, a reminder of that pain being from the fall, and it's a reminder of sin. Adam fell being the federal head of creation, and Adam died and brought forth death on us all. Eve, Eve, she was uh, taken away from the Lord by the the twisting of the word to, to her by the devil or by the serpent. And hence she was beguiled, but Adam sinned and fell, and sin brought forth death. Hence, we all go to the grave. Hence, at one point in place and time, we will all find ourselves in a cold grave. But in childbirth, 
pain is a reminder of the fall in the garden. In childbirth, pain is a reminder of sin. Of sin. Think about that next time you hear of someone giving birth. We men can only imagine, as I said before, I think if it was down to men, the human race would be extinct. Women are the weaker vessel, it says, but in many ways, women are the stronger vessel. And hence, the Lord has fitted them out for this task, but yet the reminder of pain is there. So childbirth reminds us of sin and the fall in the Garden of Eden. To the man, he was reminded by working and eating his bread in the sweat of his brow. That's the, the way God has the, the biblical pattern for the man to be the head of the home in, in the new covenant in Christ, but here also for the man to be a godly man in the head, as the head of the home and the woman to be serving her husband and children while the husband serves his wife by being able to fend for her and to make for her and to bring in for her. And hence, we see that in our very verse that we have written, or pardon me, have read this morning, which is written. Notice here, pain in childbirth is a reminder of the fall and of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. But notice, pain in childbirth is also a reminder of the promise of God to Eve. Let's read the verse again. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. And thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. Notice there is the promise to bring forth. And he's talking about here, as from verse 15, there would be enmity between thee, the serpent, and the woman, between the serpent's seed and the woman's seed, or the seed of the woman. It shall bruise thy head, he says, that the servant thou shalt bruise his heel. And the woman is going to have travail, reminding her of the fall reminding her of the sin, but the promise is what God has said. Let's take joy this morning and hope in the promises of God that are written for our lives. God keeps his promise. God keeps his word. And let us remind ourselves that if God does not keep his promise in one point that he has promised, then how can he keep his promise in all other points? How can we be assured of him? And how can we have a promise with him? And so we must remind ourselves that God always keeps his promises, fulfills them, and he keeps his own covenants. Take note of this. The seed of the woman, from verse 15 into 16, this, these children Notice plural, which were to be born, and from her we know would come the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. But I want to follow for a moment, if you'll go to Genesis chapter 5, I want to follow this line of promise this morning, if I may, and break it down a little for you. Now I'm going to have to jump across this, lift out certain names, and show you what we are trying to show for God's glory. Notice chapter 5 and verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. 
In the day God, that God created man in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. In the day when they were created, notice verse 3, and Adam lived 130 years and begot a son and his son in his son's likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Now take note, it jumps here from Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and then Seth. Seth was actually the third one born, but here we're told it jumps right across to Seth. And the reason being is this. If you're writing and taking notes, the word name Adam means red, red earth, it gives the idea of, or it gives the idea of one who shows blood in his face, to blush, in other words, to be rosy-cheeked. And when you think of it at the fall, came the first embarrassment. When God came, Adam, where art thou? He was hiding. And he says, I heard thy voice and we were ashamed because we were naked. And the Lord says, who told you you were naked? The age of innocency had gone from him. And hence it means he was embarrassed. So God could see the redness of embarrassment. And then also now in Genesis 3 and in verse uh, 17, uh, pardon me, 15 to 17, he says that he will eat in the bread and the sweat of his brow the redness would come up on his face from laboring and from work. And hence, that is part of the fall. That is part of the sin in the garden. So I take note of this. So Adam means, if you want to call it just man, if you want to put it, Adam man. And then Seth, Cain kills Abel. Cain is sent off, it says, from the face of the earth. Now, that doesn't mean he floated off out into outer space. Face of the earth means from the the land area, that was the face of the earth, that part of the Garden of Eden and where Adam and Eve were. He was sent forth out and went to the land of Nod and he married a woman and he built a city and we know what happened there. Where did he get his wife from? I'll tell you another time, but I think. Take note of this. Seth means appointed. Appointed. If you're taking notes, write this down. Just these words, Seth, Appointed. And then when we go to verse 6, it says, And Seth lived in 105 years and begot Enos. Enos means mortal, frail, or miserable. How miserable is man without God? How miserable is woman without God? It means miserable. And then in verse 12, if you'll look down the chapter, and Canaan... That is not Cain now, but Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahaliel. Notice, Canaan means sorrow, sorrow. It can also mean possession. Some of the names have dual, two or three name meanings. And then when we go to Mahaliel, it means blessed of God. Gives the idea of the descent it means, the one who's descended. Man descended. He was built up from the dust of the ground, but man descends back to dust again. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But here, descent here means the blessed, or pardon me, God come down. Pardon me. Mahaliel means blessed of God. 
Jared, the next means descended, shall come down. Pardon me, I, uh, I read wrong there. Verse 15. And Mahaliel lived 60 years, 60 and five years, and begat Jared. So Jared then. So Mahaliel, blessed of God. And then Jared means shall come down or descent, how he was descended down to the ground. Also, when we look at verse 18. And Jared lived in 160 and two years and begot Enoch. Enoch means teaching or dedicated teaching. Teaching or dedicated teaching. And then when we go to verse 21. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begot Methuselah. Methuselah means his death shall bring or when he dies, it shall come. His death shall bring. Methuselah then, in verse 25, lived in 180 and seven years and begot Lamach. Lamach means the despairing one. Despairing. Some say there's a secondary name in the positive sense, means powerful, but despairing. And in verse 29, and he called his name Noah, saying, this, this same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Now notice all to do with the fall in the garden of Eden. Okay? Noah means rest and comfort. Rest and comfort. Stay with me while I show you something here. Last week we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Remember that? Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So all scripture. Remember this, at uh, this time Paul is writing about the Old Testament. For the New Testament hasn't been written. He's writing it. So he's thinking of the Old Testament scriptures so how can this how can this help you and I? How can this build us up with all of these names? And we, we run past them all, don't we? There we, we, do, we read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we get to the parts where all the names begot, begot, and he begot this and he begot that, and you go blah, 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 you roll the whole way down and you just forget. You don't read it. You don't look into it. Well, every one of them are important. Remember Genesis 3:16? 3.16 studies. Remember 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture. Now Genesis 3.16 is telling us about the woman, tells us about the sorrow in childbirth. And children will come. Well, from Adam to Noah and the meaning of those names. Let me read them out to you like this. So it's Adam, Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahaliel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamach, and Noah. That's up to the flood. Now let me read this out to you when we look at their name, the meaning of their names and see what God has placed in this. This is what it, their names mean. Remember, Adam means man and so on. Let me read. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. But the blessed God shall come down with dedicated teaching that his death shall bring the despairing 
rest on comfort. You see it? That's why you should always study the names. I'll read it again. Man appointed is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching with dedicated teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest and comfort, all in the names that we have read so far. Speaking about the one who would come from the seed of the woman. See how you can trust God? That God's word is inspired. It's not just men who got together and wrote a book. Let me go on even from Noah. If you want to look at verse 32, and Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now we know that then we go into uh, the, the lineage here, and Noah, through Shem, the line of Shem, comes the Messiah again. For example, the name Shem, S-H-E-M, and it's pronounced in the Hebrew, Shem. That's the way it goes. Almost the same, but it's like our Shem, S-H-A-M-E. Shem, that's the way it goes. And this is what it means. It gives the idea of the fame, F-A-M-E, reputation, Fame and reputation, it means glory, character. For example, some people's name, when it's mentioned, you think a certain thing, for the good or for the bad. There are logos that you know exactly what they mean because those logos speak of exactly what's behind that from that company. For example, the golden arches, everyone knows what the golden arches are, don't you? It's one little tick is a sports brand. You know what that is behind that. And so that's their, that's their shame, their, their fame or their reputation and their character or what they stand for. And hence, even the Lord Jesus Christ in the beginning was the word, the logos, And the Word was with God. The Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. And when the Logos is, is, and the Word becomes flesh and dwelt among us, the Lord Jesus Christ, He is revealed. He's a revelation. He is a, He's a visible expression of the invisible God. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the embodiment of this Word. He not only is the Son of God, but He's the embodiment of this Word. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the logo or the logos, the speaking forth of God. That's how all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And so the Lord Jesus Christ here, when he, the Lord becomes flesh and the, the, the boy is born, or the child is born, we go back to where the sin was in Genesis chapter 6, pardon me, 3 and 16, and the promise you'll have pain and sorrow in childbirth. He says, but the promise is this. Children will come out of you and from there will come the Savior. So you can see the, 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 the strength of the word of God. I'll do more teaching this morning than, than preaching for you. But this is uh, the Lord Jesus. He is 
the visible expression of the invisible God. So Noah has Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem means fame or reputation. Now take note of this. If the lineage, the seed line is not through Shem, if it was through Ham or Japheth, in other words, here is, if you want, a tribal uh, people are coming, a racial choice, if you want. And he said, through this line here will come Messiah, will come the Savior, the Redeemer. And if God fails in that, then his name has fallen. It's, his, it's God's fame, God's reputation. And so when Christ came to die for our sins and hang on the cross, when he came and he says, I am come to do my Father's will. And he says, I am come in my Father's name. I'm come in my Father's reputation. And so if Christ isn't who he says he is, and if he doesn't do as the Father willed him to do, then the, the, the very fame of the Father, as it were, the reputation, the glory, the character of the Father has fallen because of him. You see, everything is, everything is laid upon him. The very glory of the Father is laid on the beloved Son. The very fame, as it were, of the Father is laid on the beloved Son. The reputation of the Father is laid on the beloved Son. That's why he says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Why? Because he's my word. He's my son. He's my logos. Who he is, I am. And then our sins are laid on the son. He carried all for the Father to glorify the Father. And hence the son died that we might be saved to the glory of of his father. So if Jesus doesn't save, and if Jesus isn't the redeemer, and if he's not the Messiah, and if he doesn't pay our full debt of sin, then the fame or the reputation of the father has been damaged or tainted and lost. So from Genesis 3.16, we see this line comes right down. Shem. And this is where we get the name Semitic from. Shematic. So people say of the Semitic peoples. Now, when people talk about the Semitic peoples, there's more uh, people say, well, the Jews are the Semitic people. That's not really all they are. There's other peoples who are Semitic. Abraham marries a woman called Keturah, has five sons. All their children are Semitic. They're all from the same line. It's a bigger branch than we see and what, that we're told. It's, there's a massive branch of Semitic. Then it comes into another line, cut off again, divided off, the Hebraic, the Hebrews, and from there into Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, into the two kingdoms of Israel. One scattered, and then the other scattered, but from there is the Judah is the Messiah. God's fame God's word is forever settled in heaven. Let us look at this for a moment. 
Chapter 11, please. Chapter 11. Let's just for time's sake try and skip across some of these. I'll maybe say more about some and less about others if I may. Okay. Okay, verse 10, please. So the Lord takes us to the generations of Shem. These are the generations of Shem. It was about 100 years old and begot Arphaxad. Two years after the flood, and Shem lived after he begot Arphaxad. 500 years and begot sons and daughters. And Arphaxad lived five and 30 years and begot Salah. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. First of all, we looked at Shem. Secondly, our facts are, do you know what it means? It has two meanings. It means boundary of the Chaldeans. Boundary of the Chaldeans. But here's what else it means. It, mean, it gives the idea of light, of light trickles. Light, L-I-G-H-T. Light trickles as if it were milk from a leaking breast. That's what the secondary meaning of his word, his name. Now you might say, well, what has that got to do with anything? Well, to have the fame and reputation through Shem where Christ would come, this has to continue. Where's the light? God starts to reveal himself. Not only through his name, by this, through, through the, the names of people, but his name to them. And it's a light that trickles. And again, going back to Genesis 3:16, a woman in childbirth. The promise are the children, plural, and from there comes the seed. He spoke to the serpent off in verse 15. So notice the light starts to trickle out. It's like a mother who has a little bit of leaking milk from her breast. The light's coming. The light's coming. That's what, it's like. That's what it means. Now stay with me. His son was called Salah, and it means to sprout. It gives the idea of a missionary, someone to send out of the way, or it means to take an arrow and draw it back and release it and send it forth. Now, note this, in this generation, as we go down some of them, what does God do? He, through Abraham, sends them out of the air of the Chaldees, shoots him forth like an arrow. Sends him out and he shoots him forth like an arrow. We'll have to move quickly. Uh, fourthly, verse 15, please. And Salabat lived and begot Eber 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Eber is, most scholars, or nearly all that I know anyway, say that this is where the name Hebrew comes from. Here's another line coming now. Not of any other sons, but of Eber, who is a Hebrew. He's the fourth He's a great-grandson of Abraham, four times removed. Now, take note of this. Eber, it means the river beyond, or he who has passed over the river. It gives the idea of someone wading through the waters. And we can see even here that God releasing Israel in latter years, Abraham was sent forth, 
God releasing Israel comes through the waters. What was the waters? Of the Red Sea, baptized unto God, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. All our fathers, he says, has went through the sea and under the cloud and were baptized unto Moses. They're all being baptized or set apart of a, a people set apart. And take note of this. They also crossed with Joshua the river Jordan into the Canaan land. So Hebrew means one who traverses over the river beyond. It's like he fired an arrow. The Lord says, now it's time. Boom, fires an arrow. And the Hebrew people start to grow. Now, people say, well, they, it's only Jews who are Hebrews. That's not true. There are other people from this line who we don't hardly even recognize who are Hebrews. There's many more Hebrews. Fifthly, we have Peleg. I'll just run through these. It means dividing as a canal. Verse 18. Dividing as canals. God separating. He separates Adam, or pardon me, Abraham from his people. This is all looking ahead, coming from Genesis 3.16. Separates him from his people. Then later, as the Israelites are in the land, he separates the kingdoms for the glory of God and of Christ to go around the nations. The northern kingdom being uh, lost, as it were, migrating to the west. And here we have uh, the Judah and the southern kingdom going to Babylon and coming back and building the temple. And this seed, the Messiah, still coming out of this. And the gospel goes to the west. It goes to you and it goes to me. And God uses this to go around the world. See God's plan in this? It's bigger than we think. Now notice this. Reu means the friend or associate. Abraham was God's friend. And uh, we, we, we liken the, the, the righteousness of faith of Abraham as our faith in Christ. Christ is God's fellow. The man that is my fellow God says in the Old Testament is coming. The man that is my fellow or my associate, it means. And Israel became God's associate. And then we have Serug. Serug, if you look at verse 22, and Serug lived 30 years and begot Nahor. Serug means branch. Branch. Can you see here, how he's called the righteous branch, the Lord Jesus is. This branch of humanity is bringing forth the Messiah. And then again, at Nahor is in verse 24. Nahor lived nine and 20 years and begot terror. Nahor means to snort. It gives the idea of a hub of heat, one with clout and wisdom, a ruler. You know, a, <laughs> someone, <laughs> no, they're, they're hot and they're, 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 they're heavy in their temper. That's the way the idea of it is. To snort and to, to have a hub of heat to cause one to snort. And they come with a, a, a clout in the good sense or in the bad sense. And of course, from this, from this in the good sense, 
the one with the clout who is the ruler to come is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, terra means to breathe, to delay, to wonder. That is W-A-N-D-E-R. To stand somewhere just breathing. Forget you don't know what to do and where you're going. You just stand. What do you do next? Where am I going to go now? What do you do with this? It's the idea of this. That's the idea of his name. The idea of this is maybe you are like this in Tara's name, but God knew where you were going. God knows the plans he has for you. God knows your purpose, and God has the promise. And when we don't know what we're doing or where we're going, listen, Tara, it gives the idea of an aimless, aimless wandering that might precede one's focused decision on where to deliberately go. Get focused here. Where am I going? I can't get my head straight. What am I going to do? You know, that's the idea of it. I might be going, going this way. This is what I'm doing. Maybe you're like that in life, but and people run here and they run there. They go to this place, they go to that place, they go to this one and they go to that one and they try this thing and that thing and another thing and they put a wee bit of work in here and a bit in there and a bit in another place. And before you know it, they're a jack of all trades and a master of none, as the saying is. And rather than taking, as it were, the place of Lord, I will stand at my post until you tell me what to do. Until you tell me what to do. Notice, in Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 10, you can read it later for time's sake when not look at it. But first it tells us that Abraham went out of the Ur of the Chaldees at the call of God, not knowing whether he went. Where am I going? What's for my life, Lord? What am I doing? I don't know. Should I stay? Should I go? I know you're calling me. What, what have I to do? And he's taken that from his father, Tara. But God had the promise. God had the purpose. God knew the plan. God's saying, just trust me. You don't need to know. He says to you this morning, just trust me. You don't need to know. You don't need all the answers. Listen, if you get into your car at night and it's pitch black, you turn on the lights, don't you? before you take off. And you'll get what? 50, 60 feet of light maybe? And beyond that light, you can't see any further into what is ahead. Now if you just sit there with the lights on and say, well, that's all I can see. I'm going to wait here. You're there to the next morning. To sunrise. But if you go in there with the lights on and you say, right, first gear, handbrake off, I can't see ahead of me. As you drive, the lights go before you, don't they? And they light up the way before you. And if you stop, the, the light will stop. Such is it like a walk of faith. You, you only see so far. And if you can't see past that, God doesn't want you to know it then. 
And if God wants you to know it, he'll show you it. He'll put you on high beam, as it were, and you'll be able to see more. People are panicking. Listen, there's things that I'm looking at at the minute. And I see the lights. I just see them. And sometimes they look like they're 10 feet to me. Sometimes they look like my lights won't even come on. But I have to keep going. Trust in the Lord to say, Lord, as I walk with you, you'll light up my path. For thy word is a lamp unto my, what is it? And a light unto my Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It doesn't say thy word shines in my eyes and blinds me. He lights up the way you need to walk. He lights up how you need to walk. He lights up the amount he wants to tell you as you walk. Am I ever going to get over this, Lord? Am I ever going to get through this, Lord? Am I ever going to be able to cope with much more of this, Lord? Am I ever going to be healed of this, Lord? Am I ever going to find strength again, Lord? Am I ever going to find joy again? Is this, is this depression ever going to lift off me, Lord? Is this, a, a, this down heart ever going to be strengthened, Lord? Because as far as I can see, my, my headlights are only going five feet what am I going to go with these people, Lord? What am I going to do with this church, Lord? What am I going to do in the future, Lord? What am I going to do? What's the elders going to do? What's our oversight going to do for the future, Lord? And if I told you the doors that close in our faces, hope, 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 closed door. Oh, no, start again. Hope, 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 closed door, start again. Hope, 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 closed door, start again. Well, I'll tell you. God's opening doors now. You must wait and God will open the door. I don't know where to go next then. Stand at your last post where God told you until he tells you something further different. I don't know which door to walk in, Lord. Well, if they're all closed, he hasn't opened it. So that's why you don't know. That's why. And someone says, you don't know what door to walk through, then just praise God in the hallway. Wait till he opens it. Tara, waiting, what do I do next? And he then has Father Abraham, verse 26, and Tara lived 70 years and begot Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Now, if I ask you, you see how this is being whittled down? Comes from Seth, and then right down to Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, Shemetic, the Semite, and comes from there to Eber. The Hebrews comes through Eber's family then, to Abraham. Abraham has these brothers now mentioned, doesn't go to the brothers, just goes to Abraham. God has a choice, you know. God has an election. And note this. It says in verse 27, now these are the generations of Terah, and Terah begot Abraham, 
Nahor and Haran, and Haran begot Lot. We all know the story of Lot. Abram, or Abraham, Abram, as it says here, means exalted father. He became like a tribal leader, family leader. And the, 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 the book of, of the Bible then, the, it, it starts talking about the Abrahamic family through, or, uh, that is, through uh, Israel and the, the prophets, the apostles, the, and Christ, of course, in the new covenant. But notice this. Abraham, then his name is changed too. It means strength and protection. It gives the idea, reflects the security that arises from synchronicity of his clans or, or of his tribes. In other words, where there's unity, the Lord would pour out the blessing. And so he becomes a father, not of one nation, but of many nations, it says. Now, God keeps his word. And you and I are that people. It says in verse 29, please. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. And the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Ishkah. And Sarah was born, and she had no child. Now, we know that Sarah felt like this, and God answered her prayer. God answered her prayer. And she had Isaac. Now, you can write these down because time's gone. Isaac, mean, Isaac pardon me, means laughter. But notice this, Genesis 2, 21 and 12, Romans chapter 9 and 7, and in Hebrews 11 and verse 18. So twice in the New Testament refers to Genesis chapter 21 and 12. And they all say, In Isaac shall thy seed be called. God said that in Isaac. What about Ishmael? Remember he had Ishmael with Hagar? That's why you have the Arabs today. By the way, since the Arabs are from Abraham, guess what? They have Semitic blood. Told you, people don't think like this. They have Hebraic blood because Abraham was a Hebrew. It's part of his family, isn't it? People don't think like this. Do you know Abraham wasn't a Jew? There were no Jews in Abraham's day. See, when you hear Abraham the Jew, there were none. Abraham wasn't even an Israelite. There were no Israelites in Abraham's day. He was a Hebrew. He was Semitic from Shem. Isaac comes. Isaac isn't a Jew either. Isaac isn't an Israelite either. There were none. He was a Hebrew. Jacob comes, there were. He wasn't a, a Jew or an Israelite either. There were none. See, when people talk about Abraham the Jew, I go, what are they reading? It's called Abraham the Hebrew. There were none. Because you had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. His name becomes Israel. His sons are born. They become the National tribes of Israel, the leaders of the tribes, or the fathers of the tribes. And one of the tribes was called Judah, from where the Lord Jesus Christ is born. And the derivative name 
It's even not a full name from Judah is the word Jew. That's where it starts. So I wonder what Bible some of them are reading when they say these things. There was one tribe known as Judah or the Jews, just one. In fact, when you go into, you might have to look it up, it's 2 Kings 16, I think it is. It might be 1 Kings. I'll have to look it up. I'm trying to do it from memory. It's the first time you read this of the word Jew. And who are they fighting? Israel. <laughs> How do you work that out? Because they're two kingdoms. Fighting Israel. And Israel are being held by the Syrians. Anyway, I better run. The, I, have, I have too much stuff here, so I'm going to round, round this up. I'll do one more morning. I want to look at something else maybe next week. In Isaac shall I see be called. Jacob becomes Israel. Jacob means twister, heel grabber. Israel means ruling with God. And how God changes us is seen in this. It means he retains God. And so uh, we should be those who are retaining vessels of God, the Holy Ghost. Notice this. Turn with me to Exodus 3. God reaffirms what he says. And what is it? We're doing 316 studies. Exodus 3 and verse 16. Verse 14 down he says, telling Moses, I am that I am. And verse 15 he says, the uh, I shall say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, send me to you. Verse 16, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done in Egypt. Why did he not visit some of the other peoples who were at war? Some of the other peoples who were in dangers. Why here? Because this was his elect chosen line. God choose this. This is God's choice. So when we read in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. You can see this is scripture, the old covenant, the inspiration of it, even in this very, even in the names of it, the history behind it. I just put some of these out here and you can write them down. In John 16, if you read it when you get a chance, in verse 21 especially, listen to what the Lord Jesus says. A woman when she is in travail hath sorrow. Genesis 3.16. A woman when she is in travail hath sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. Verse 22 and ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy shall no man taketh from you. You know what the Lord's talking about is death, burial, and resurrection. And he's saying, you're going to be sorrow. It's going to be painful. I'm likening this to a woman who is in sorrow. Remember the fall of Adam and Eve? And now in childbirth, she's going to have sorrow and travail. Well, Jesus has taken this and saying, as a woman has this through the generations, so in the spiritual, you're going to have this because I'm going to die. Again, 
Sin brings forth death. Our sin brought forth his death. And he was birthed out from a tomb and brought forth joy at the resurrection. So you can see how all of these, there's more than just reading it, and that's just, there's a whole theme in the scripture. So, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 3. This is me finished. Who's ever heard of that sort of thing before? All of this, that theme. First Thessalonians 5, verse 3. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. Notice, and they shall not escape. There's no joy here. They shall not escape. Who's he speaking of? Those who are the Christ rejecter. Those who are not saved and not prepared and ready. Jesus is saying there's coming a time that there will be a great travail in the earth. You can see the birth pangs at the minute, can't you? All the way the world's going. Birth pangs all over the, even the very earth is crying out looking for his creator like a woman in travail, the scripture says. And joy's coming because Christ is coming. He's coming for his redeemed, his blood-washed people. He's coming for those whom he's purchased who have put their trust in him, who have repented of their sin. He's coming for them, and then he's going to renew. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, and we're going to reign and rule with him. But this part is the travail is coming, like on a woman with a child. But those who are not in Christ will not escape. Those who are not saved will not escape. So are you saved? Are you ready? Are you saved in serving? Are you ready? May God bless you this morning.